Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome everybody to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Mathis. Ferraro 20 saves you 20% at uh, two under. The number two UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. Plenty of NHL guys are using it, and uh, you guys should try it too. And uh, we appreciate the two under for coming on. Pulp Hockey, subscribe on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, get it on uh, pulphockey.com. 15% off rightyboards.com. Uh, Code pulp gets you, that's, gets you that discount. It's a first portable restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. Stick them to the rink glass of practice, peel it off, slap it up. Stick without bubbles. The PowerPlay whiteboard has patented foam technology. Some high uh, highfalutin stuff there, and uh, welcome uh, our, our guest on the show today. Uh, making a second appearance on the uh, Paul Pocky podcast, he's uh, 6:30 Chad uh, Edmonton Oilers analyst, pre and post game, former 50 goal man. That's right, 50 goal man, and uh, in, in the NHL, Rob Brown. What's up, Rob? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? I'm good. Notice how I say 50 goals, because after the last pot where Danny Morrell screwed you and the coach screwed <laughs> you, you're a 50-goal man in my book. I appreciate that. I, it probably would have helped if you were around when my agent was there. You could have <laughs> been my agent and got me a little extra money. I know, right? that extra goal there. I know. Hey, um, we're going to talk Oilers for sure. You you cover these guys uh, game in and game out, and uh, we want to definitely talk about that and everything that went on with that. Um, but first of all, let's get your take on the playoffs I know the the Capitals were the best team in the whole league the whole year. I just it's hard to see them winning. I I, I see the Cup coming up out of the West again. But what do you think? What what's your take on the uh, on the eve of the uh, playoffs here? I, I like the Capitals. I do. The problem for the Capitals is the bracket they're in. You know they're playing against Philly in the first round. There's mm-hmm. no one as hot as Philly coming down the stretch having to to force their way into the playoffs. And if they get past Philly, then they're playing Pittsburgh and, or the Rangers. And uh-huh. Pittsburgh as good as any team down. So that's a hard bracket to come out of. Then you look down at the bottom of that Eastern Conference, you got Florida, the Islanders, Tampa Bay, and Detroit. Yeah. Nobody there scares you. Yeah. So, you know, Washington, if they're in the opposite bracket, it's a breeze. Uh-huh. But they got a tough getting out of their own side. Out of the West, it, 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 to me, it's all a war of attrition, whichever team stays healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, the Blackhawks are a little beat up right now. The St. Louis Blues are a little beat up. Uh, Dallas missing their best player in Tyler Sagan. And, and then on the other side, I mean, I, I, I like Anaheim. Mm-hmm. I think they, they win their first round against Nashville, and they hope that the Kings and San Jose beat themselves up. So I, I, the West is harder to get out of. Right. But it, it just depends on who comes out of the East. A team like Florida, I don't see – there's not a whole lot in that one bracket. I don't think that there's very tough. So someone yeah. that comes out of the one bracket out East could get a much easier walk through to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, so you're more – and again, you've you played the game. You know what's going on. You're more like try to stay healthy, um, have the easier route in the first round, right? I mean, that seems to be what yeah, – well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me that's huge. That's why it was so important – you know, to, to get to, to win your division so that you don't have, like, in the Dallas division, uh, they win it. That means they don't have to play St. Louis or Chicago in the yeah. first round. That That's huge for them. 
Anaheim, they win their their division on the last game of the season. They don't have to play L.A. or San Jose. I mean, again, that's huge. You want to have it easier. And what you've seen over the last number of years, at the end of the playoffs, the team that has won it is the team that's had the best depth. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it's a different game in the playoffs. It's much more physical, much more intense. Uh, you, 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 you need to have not six defensemen that can play. You need to have seven or eight. You need to be able to, to play your fourth line on consistent basis mm-hmm. because you're going every second night. So the team with good depth usually is the team that you see playing into June. Do you think there's anything like uh, us in the media, uh, us fans, we like, like the Capitals have a history of playoff failures, right? I mean, they've got to a couple of finals, but... It, it it it's basically it's been game seven failures for, for whether it's the Rangers whether it's the pit whether it's uh, Pittsburgh and in the eighties it was the Flyers and the Islanders. Is there anything to that, or is that just like old players, old teams? Uh, the players in the room don't really care, think about it, affect them at all. Yeah, I, it doesn't bother the players. Yeah. I mean, if it was a player, say the last four years, the same team had 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 beat you or the last four years you've lost a big game over and over and it's the same group in the dressing room mm-hmm. it plays on your mind but as far as i mean most of the there's a lot of players in washington that are, are brand new players they've got a new coaching staff there mm-hmm. over the last couple of years so no it, it it's not it, it doesn't affect them at all i mean you mentioned something happened in the 80s or the 90s yeah these players i mean some of these players weren't even born <laughs> right. when when these were happening so it, it doesn't affect them um I think the Washington Capitals are pretty. Ex- uh, they got a good team. They're mm-hmm. deep, and I think for the first time in a long time, it's not riding on Ovechkin. Right. He's not. You know, if Ovechkin has a bad series, years gone past, or a bad game, years gone past, the mm-hmm. Washington Capitals have lost. Nowadays, they've got depth. They've got other guys that have been there before. They picked up players in the off season throughout the year that have got some experience in playoffs, and, and they got some young talent. So if Ovechkin has a, a bad game, they have enough offensive players, as well as a great goaltender mm-hmm. to allow them to still win. What's the best team you've seen come through uh, Northlands this year? Like, in person, the best top to bottom. Obviously, you see the Western teams more, but what, what's, what, what struck you as just, like, blown away? Well, I mean, the, the, the LA Kings in Anaheim, either one of those. I mean, yep. for, for Oiler fans, people in Edmonton, those are the type of teams that Edmonton has always struggled against. Mm-hmm. Big, physical, strong teams. The St. Louis Blues. Uh, they, they're all top to bottom. They, they can play four lines. They've got very good defensemen. they got good goaltending or great goaltending in the case of the LA Kings. Uh, those are the teams that I, I was the most impressed with. Uh, just because they can play you anyways. I mean, we, there was one game, I think Anaheim won one nothing or 2 nothing in Edmonton earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. But it, it, at no point, even when it was one nothing through the first 55 minutes of the game, the Edmonton Oilers weren't in the game. Right. It was a one-shot game, and they still were not in the hockey game. And I'm just completely shut them down. Mm-hmm. So those are the teams that are built for playoffs. I mean, LA's got yeah. a couple Stanley Cup wins in the last five years. Anaheim had their huge run last year going to the Final Four before losing in Game 7. Those are teams that are built for, for endurance. They're physical. They're big. they got depth. They've got uh, players that can play any style of game you want. And it's just a matter of getting a couple breaks. So uh, I, I would figure that it would be Anaheim and L.A. in the second mm-hmm. round of the playoffs. And it's sad because both those teams could be the two best teams, two best playoff teams yeah. in the NHL and one of them could be gone as early as the second round. 
I like the Ducks, how they struggled in the beginning. Like last year, they cruised, right? They had it on lock and, uh, and they, you know, maybe let up during the stretch run. Well, this year they had to fight a lot more, and props for them not letting Boudreaux go uh, either, by the way, because I think we all thought he was going to be done. And they got it, they got it together, and they, they had to fight hard, and you know they're almost peaking it right at the right time. Well, what I like what Anaheim did is there was never any panic. Yeah, you know they, the coaches never seen panic. The, the GM, I mean, he's like, you know, we'll be okay. Yeah, and, and the players never panic. And at the beginning of the year, they were playing really solid hockey. They were just snake bitten. Mm-hmm. Their their top players Perry and Getzlaff couldn't put the puck in the net. Yeah. I mean they, they were out shooting teams forty to fifteen and losing two one or one nothing. So they were playing the game the proper way, just not getting the breaks. But if you're a good team and you continue to outplay the other team, eventually the breaks will turn your way. And mm-hmm. we saw that happen over the second half of the season. And, and once again, they're a team that's hard to play against. They're they're comfortable playing in a one goal game, and there, there's no panic. There's no uh, worry in their game. That's mm-hmm. what you see in the LA Kings. Uh, and that's where experience comes into play. And I got the experience last year going game seven in the, in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. So they've got more experience. They feel better about themselves. I mean, you would see if Anaheim was in a different conference or even in the different division, yeah, they would have gone a yeah. lot. They, I mean, they'd be a lot more successful. They just, they've run yeah. into the LA Kings too many times <laughs> earlier in the playoffs. Yeah, um, let's let's switch to the Oilers a little bit here. Rob Brown um, on the Paul Pocky podcast. The uh, I live in the Vegas, so I get the NHL Center Ice package. So I did not get to see the Rexall slash Northlands uh, closing ceremonies. It's still going on, or did did it wrap up yet? <laughs> it, it did wrap up. It was it was an early morning by the time we wrapped it up. But it, it, it was it was fun. cool though. It's cool. It's cool what they did. Yeah, it, it is. They they brought a number of people back that. Uh, Hadn't been around forever, and you, the, the cool thing I've done this with in Pittsburgh when they close the old igloo, mm-hmm. they bring guys back from all different generations, which is really neat mm-hmm. because you you if for my generation I see the new guys and I'm like wow you know here's the Crosby's the Malkin right. back when they closed it Billy Garen I'm like here's the future of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and then I also saw the guys that were before us the Silaps the the Rick Kehoe's right. Pierre Larouches and those are the guys that when I played I'm like okay we're carrying the torch for them. So when Edmonton, they did the same thing. They had guys from, you know, the early 70s right. all the way through to, to, to today's game. And it's neat seeing them all. And it's neat for them to be part of it and to, to, to intermingle amongst each other and have a couple beers and tell stories. So it, it was a fun night. And I, I can tell you this, that the Oiler in Rexall this year, it, it was not always happy at the end of the game. Right. It's, there's a lot of tough days for the fans. But after the game ended... It was about a 30 to 40 minute break mm-hmm. before the ceremony started. Not a single person left. They oh, stayed, cool. and it yeah. was about a two hour show afterwards. So it, it was pretty cool, and uh, they sent it off in style. It was a good game for the others that night. And as much as it, it was sad to say goodbye to Rexall, I'm sure there are a lot of very excited people to see uh, Rogers open up in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, Northlands isn't like it's not the it's not the garden, it's not the form, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a nondescript 1970s rink. There was a lot of them built like that. But when you think of the history of that place and the winning and the 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 even if they didn't win, it went through there to you know uh, to get to the finals or to win a cup. Uh, it's phenomenal the uh, the history that place has. You're right. I mean, it's the, the rink is black. Yeah. It always has been. It, it's it's not built in a great area, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. So 
So when you leave the rink, you're going home because there's nothing around there. <laughs> right. But I think what a lot of people talked about when it closes, uh, there's generations of, of families, of parents and kids that have gone to, through Rexall, Northland, Skyreach, that they have their memories of it. it. Whether it be, I remember going to my first game with my father. I remember going the night they won the championship. I was there when Gretzky scored 50 and 39. Mm-hmm. Like all of these really cool stories. So yeah, so it wasn't as much as the the, the, the bricks and wood that were, were in Rexall. Yeah. It was it's the aura about it. It was what you what your memory of a moment at Rexall at Northlands meant to you. And I think that's why it was important for a lot of people to be there on that final night to just relive the memories that they had had there. Um, your first, you're an Edmonton guy, uh, born yeah. close by uh, Saint Albert. Uh, what was your first game there? Was it pretty cool? Do you remember it? It must have been pretty special. Um, I, I don't remember my first oh, okay. game going. We moved. We moved out. We moved out uh, when I was 13. I, I do remember going to when they won the Stanley Cup and was it the '84 Cup? Mm-hmm. Being up in the stands and my father and I real high up in the stands watching, and that's when I just became enthralled. Was that with, the first with, one? The first one? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the first one. I think everybody jumped so, on the ice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was too far away, right. and my father wouldn't let me, but. I, but to me, my favorite memories are a my first NHL game in Edmonton, because that was when you when I first started playing. I think my first game was against the New Jersey Devils, and I played probably mm-hmm. against the Islanders, and, and it was cool. But I didn't really realize I'd made it to the National Hockey until I played Edmonton. Because yeah. now I got family and friends there. Uh-huh. I got I believe it, the, the the Mark Lewis the. PA announcer, his voice. I've been to all those Oiler games. I knew that voice. You knew that guy, yeah. Goal yeah. scored by. So now it's like, okay, and now I'm in that rink and the, the other jerseys, that's that's when I realized I made the NHL. And I played in one NHL All-Star game in my career, and it was in Edmonton. So those were the memories yeah. I took out of out of Rexall Place. That's cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about the season. First of all, um, Ferraro, I had Ray on. And I said, "What you know? What's Connor McDavid going to be like?" And he's like, "Oh, he's going to be special. He's going to be you know everything you thought he you know. This is a generational guy. This is the, the, you know, this is Crosby, and before that, uh, maybe Lindros was one, and before that, maybe Mario. You know, one of those guys. And every and obviously, look, he got hurt. He missed half the season. But I when I watched him." phenomenal uh, player. He's going to probably lead the league in scoring like next year. Um, what he can do is amazing. And then when you add what he can do at speed, uh, I was blown away. Um, talking about the good of the Edmonton Oilers, what do you think of Connor McDavid? You saw this guy all the time. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I and mean, he's, he's, he's like all the, the great ones, mm-hmm. that their vision is different than our vision. When, if you've ever been to a hockey game, there's two places you always want to sit uh, just to get a, a grasp of what's going through. You want to sit by the glass to see the size, mm-hmm. to see the speed, uh, to see how quick the decisions must be made. And then you also want to sit, sit in the press box because the whole game slows down up there. Most players, their mind, their vision is what you see at ice level. It, it's fast. And you've got, you feel like you've got no time to make a decision. That's why you see guys panicked and you're like, okay, <laughs> why is he panicking like that? He could have made a move. The great one's vision is the press box vision. Mm-hmm. It's the vision where everything slows down for them. And that's what Connor McDavid has. His vision is though he sit, he's in the press box all the time yeah. because he, he sees things that, oh, I, I saw that, but I was up 250 <laughs> feet up in the air and right. I could see how that play was going to develop. 
There's no way he should have seen that. And even saying that, there was two or three times this year where he made a play, and I'm in the press box, and, and I couldn't even see that play developing. I'm like, how did he find that guy? I'm up here. I should be able to see that 10 seconds before him. So he's, that, he's got that kind of vision. Yeah. You, you talked about his speed. There's fast guys in the NHL. Yeah. Lots of fast guys in the NHL. Yeah, when Connor gets going, he seems to leave them behind. And Connor, when he's got the puck, he's going that fast. He still makes plays. Most guys, when they start to make a play, you can, you can watch it. Their, their, their stride stops. Their feet don't leave the ice. Mm-hmm. Now they're thinking. Because now, okay, yeah. I'm going really fast. I created some space. Now, now I'm going to put my feet on the ice. And I'm, yeah, and now I'm going I'm to start looking and thinking of what to do. Connor's doing that while his feet are still moving. Yeah. And very few players in the NHL can do that. Um, so he's got a combination of a lot of different players. And the, the one where, you know, I don't want to throw Mario's name in it, but the one great thing that Mario had was his size. Yep. You couldn't knock him off the puck. Well, Connor McDavid's the same thing. I, I, I don't remember more than two, three times this year where he got knocked down. And he had big men leading on him. So he's got the speed, he's got the vision, and he's got the strength that when someone leans on him, he's not going down. So... Uh, Connor will be a scoring champion probably multiple times in his National Hockey League career. Uh, Whether it's next year or not, he'll be challenging, uh, certainly. Well, I was going to say, what is he? Who does he remind you of? And I was going to throw out Mario. Now, obviously, look, there's a long way to go, but that big, that size, Mario wasn't as fast as McDavid. I don't think. Maybe he was. You tell me. Um, Mario's deceiving. Okay. Uh, Mario, Mario never, if, if you ever watched, if Mario had to step on a guy, no one ever caught Mario on a breakaway. That's a good ever. point. You're right. Yeah. Never. Yeah, you never really he, saw he that. He just, yeah, and he's just, he's one of those guys who's got big, long strides that it didn't look like he was skating hard, but then you're like chasing him and like he's getting further and further away. Um, Connor McDavid plays it a little different. Mario, would, he could still slow the game down mm-hmm. because of his strength. He was smart enough. He created enough space, and then he slowed the game down and found the right place to go. Uh, Connor's always going 100 miles an hour. They had the same kind of vision. Uh, I don't know if there's a, a player like, I mean, maybe a, he's a much taller Patrick Kane. Mm-hmm. Because Patrick Kane, if you watch him, when he's got the puck on his stick, he always creates things. Yep. He's always making something up for something somebody else on his line. He's always in the right position. And then you add the fact that McDavid is faster and McDavid is bigger and stronger. And now you got, wow, you got Patrick Kane and now you got him in a bigger size. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it shows you how uh, effective and how great uh, Connor McDavid can be as long as he stays healthy. How was he to deal with for you uh, day in and day out as a, as a rookie, as a kid? Um, you know, he's not, from what the sound bites I see, he's not like super. Um, you know, uh, a personality guy. He's been in the spotlight since he was 10 or whatever, right? So he's probably guarded. But how was he to deal with? Uh, honestly, I didn't really deal a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stay away from that. But talking to the, the, the other guys, I always uh, – any new player that comes into the league, I, I've got a lot of buddies that do the interviews that, sure. that uh, go in the dressing rooms, and I talk to them. I said, you know, what's this guy like? And I always want to hear what this new young stud is like. Mm-hmm. Is he a good kid? Is he a good player? Is he a jerk? Like what, what, what is he? Right. And I've only heard positives about Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. And it, what I've heard a lot from a lot of different players, too, is uh, he's got these incredible leadership qualities already. I know what I was like when I was 19, and I was playing in the National Hockey League. Yeah. I was in awe. I was scared. Right. I was nervous. I did not want to make a peep. Please don't notice me unless I'm <laughs> on the ice doing something good. 
yet he's a guy that people just gravitate gravitate to. Right. They're like, all right. Well, okay, look at Connor. Okay, what he's doing. Well, look mm-hmm. what Connor said. Let's. You're right. Connor's right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it would yeah, not shock me if Connor McDavid is the captain next year for the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And it just is a testament to the character that he has a- as a person. Because this is an Oilers team that has not wanted to give the C away for a number of years. I mean, Ference was the captain. Yeah. And then they took then they took it away, and they haven't given it away. So if Connor McDavid is the captain, he's going to tell you what they think of him as a a character person because. Right away, he's getting this after just the forty-some games in the season in the league. Yeah. Before we talk a little bit more about, obviously, it wasn't a great year once again in Edmonton. Uh, only my Leafs were worse. But what else was positive from this year? Uh, Talbot turned it on at the end of the year. Started playing pretty good. Like maybe he's a guy. Um, but again, you're the expert here. What what else went good? Who who else shined this year? Well, Talbot was uh, he was a ray of hope. Mm-hmm. This other team, it's been a while since they've had a starting goaltending tender that will give them quality start game in, game out. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how important goaltending is until you don't have it. And the Oilers haven't for a number of years. And there's been games, where, especially early in seasons, where the Oilers have played well, well enough to win. Mm-hmm. And the goaltending has let them down, and that's just got them off the wrong, on the wrong foot. Uh, Talbot was good. He yep. was good. He had a little blip in November, uh, got it straightened out, and from December on, he was outstanding. He's good. Uh, Brandon Davidson was very good for the Oilers this year. He was a guy that nobody saw staying with the Oilers, let alone mm-hmm. leading them in ice time most nights. And until he blew his, uh, I believe it was his knee or his ankle, I'm not sure they didn't yeah. really come out. But late in the season, he was their best defenseman. We all get to vote as media people on the Oilers' best defenseman, mm-hmm. and he was easily my vote. Was he really? He huh? was so yep. good. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, you know, someone that you didn't really no. have any thought about, and no. now you're like, wow, that, that just filled a spot that the Oilers have on the back end. And then up front, um, I think the the play of Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. He slowed a little at the end of the season, but, uh, you know, he had 50-some points uh, as more or less a rookie this year. He played a few games last year. And you, you see the what you've got when you've got a, a big sentiment, a guy that can play against the other team's top sentiment in the Western Conference. And then he's got the ability that if they were to keep uh, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid in the middle, then you can throw him on the wing. So yep. to me, the big, three biggest pluses would be the play of Talbot, the play of Davidson, and the play of Dreisaitl. Uh, what do you think of Darnell Nurse? I've been waiting on him for a while. The fans have been. Um, what do you think of him? He uh, He had some bright spots, I think, right? He did. I think it was a bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. The problem for the Oilers is they had so many injuries this year, especially on the back end, that a lot of guys that they wanted to play in the minors, like a Darnell Nurse, yeah. like a Griffin Reinhardt, a Jordan Osterley, they had to call, get called up and play a lot of minutes, a lot of big minutes. And Darnell Nurse was, you know, learning learning by fire. He he's put into big situations. There were some games he was very good. There's some games he, he struggled, uh, but his Raw talent is undeniable. His uh, ferociousness for the game was very, very evident. And I think that it it might not be two, three years away Mm -hmm. before you see what you're really getting from Darnell Nurse. Mm -hmm. But what you've seen so far, you're like, wow, okay, I can see where uh, all these media and and scouts and, and, and people of that ilk have been pointing out is this kid is a keeper and this kid is going to be a stud in this league and it's coming it's he's still a work in progress mm-hmm. but from the beginning of the year to the end of the year he made huge strides i was surprised the islanders uh 
gave up on Griffin Reinhardt, fourth overall pick, of course, um, gave up on him and traded him away for not a whole lot. Um, what what's wrong with him, or what do you see? Like, why they was this a smart move by the Islanders when they made the trade? I'm like, wow, okay. okay. Well, it, 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 we're going to see in a couple of years. <laughs> I guess, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. When uh, the Islanders' two draft picks, see how they pan out that mm-hmm. they got for Griffin. Uh, Griffin's strengths, he's, he's a big body that moves the puck well, has good vision on the ice. His, you know, mm-hmm. liabilities, his, his, his skating isn't great, and he's not, he's not a physical player. Despite his size, he's not physical. So I, I think that... The Islanders were hoping that his progression would have been quicker than it was, mm-hmm. and and maybe the Oilers just said, "All right, here we're giving you more than you would have expected to get from them," and, and they jumped at it. So I think probably next year you're, you're going to see if the Oilers get what they want in the off season, both Darnell and Griffin start in the minors next year. Oh, okay. You uh, think so, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I yep. think so. I think that 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 in a in a perfect world mm-hmm. that would be the scenario that the Oilers want, and then move from there because the Oilers need help on the back end. And if they start the season with both Dar- both Darnell and Griffin on the back end, well, then they're probably not a playoff ready team. So talking about that a little bit, is that is that what went wrong this year? Defense. Uh, look, Todd McClellan is a winner. He's won a lot of games. Is there, I think he's a good coach. Um, you know, I think there were some good moves made. Like Talbot was, like you said, was it was a pleasant surprise. So what went wrong? What what happened? Um, How well, much time we got? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we we predicted at the beginning of the season where we thought the others would be. In, uh, we predicted they would not make the playoffs. We mm-hmm. didn't think they were good enough. Um, what happened? Well, they were a team that did not have great depth, and they lost a number of players to long-term injuries, and it was their better players. So we thought if the Oilers were a completely healthy team, that they weren't good enough to make the playoffs. Right. They weren't healthy. They lost a number of good players: Everly, Nugent, Hopkins, McDavid, um, Clefbaum, Davidson. All, all, all their top players all miss significant time. So if you're a, 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 a below-average hockey club mm-hmm. and your best players are gone for large chunks of the season, you're probably going to end up where you are in the standings, and that's what happened. Right. Uh, I had to laugh. Yakupov uh, demanded a trade, and I, I tweeted out the time. I'm like, yeah, orders are like, great. Yeah, we're trying. We want to, <laughs> like, like uh, you know, it was a big. It made headlines, and it was like the others are like, yep, great. No problem. Um, that's gotta. That's gotta go. Uh, that's just gotta start fresh for both ends this summer, right? I don't know what you can get for them, but um, something. Yeah, no, I, I think it probably worked best for the others that it did come out that uh, it became public knowledge that mm-hmm. Yakupov has to be traded because the others wanted to move him <laughs> right. and have for a while, but you're still moving the number one pick overall, mm-hmm. and that. I don't think it would ever he would ever come back to haunt them, but it's still in the back of your mind. Like this kid was taken first overall, yeah, and we're giving him up for next to nothing. So as soon as Yakupov or it was made a um, public that Yakupov asked to be traded, but now you're like, well, hey, we had no choice, right, right. right. Um, it, yeah, I, Neil Yakupov has got talent. He, I mean, the skill that he had in junior wasn't by luck, yeah. He just has to learn to play the game the, the right way. And 
at some point he's got to look in the mirror and say, okay, this has been four coaches, three GMs, who have all said the same thing about me. I can't keep saying that I'm doing everything right mm-hmm. and I'm not getting a chance. Eventually, somebody or sometime I've got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, this is on me. And if I want to be the player that I, that I was envisioned on being, then I've got to start making changes to my game. So, I mean, to me, the biggest um, liability or deficit in, in Nail's game is his hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he understands the game uh, well enough at this level and at this speed that I think he's, he, he works hard. He, he's got a good shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a good he, shot, for sure. He's got good hands, but it, he's just never in the spot that he needs to be. And at the National Hockey League level, you don't get second chances in the, opposite, in the offensive zone. You've got to be where you're supposed to be. And defensively, he's been a liability, and that's most offensive kids are that come out of junior, yep. and he just hasn't corrected it yet. Um, his little bit of success he had with uh, Connor McDavid there, uh, he was on fire there for a little bit. But I guess in your mind, Rob, you're like, yes, I could also score some goals with Connor McDavid, right? I mean, that didn't, that didn't sort of open anybody's eyes, right? I mean, because McDavid's that good. Well, it's funny because everyone said he was on fire and Nails talked about it and the fans up here, well, when he played with McDavid, he was on fire. He played 13 games and he had two goals. Was that it? McDavid. What? He only had two goals. What, he, what? Had, he had a bunch of second assists. Is that what I'm... But he had okay. Two, All right, yeah. Two so, goals. So I fell for the same thing that everybody else was... Yeah, everyone yeah. everyone thought, cause look, they scored, but he, he had two goals and one of them he fanned on and it, it <laughs> flubbed into the net. So it wasn't though... Okay. He had, I mean, yeah. nine, ten goals playing with him. It was just two. Yet he had points. I think he had ten points. Okay. And a lot of second assists. So, okay. um, Connor, when they started playing, when Connor got healthy and was playing with Eberle mm-hmm. or when he was playing with Maroon, that was players that were having success mm-hmm. with Connor McDavid because they were scoring at a 40-goal pace playing with Connor McDavid. So, uh, Connor, Yakupov, I mean, He's competing against. He's not competing on this team against the Hendricks, the Landers, the Testes. He's competing against a Maroon, or an Eberle, or a Hall, or or a Drysital to play top six minutes. And all those players are better than him. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I guess I fell for like everything else. Like he's like you said. Like everyone was like, oh look, he's found some chemistry. Maybe not so much. <laughs> um, the, there's obviously going to be changes this summer, um, and probably to the core of the Oilers, I would think. But let me ask you: It's besides Yakupov, that's a no-brainer. But do you think one of those big three, four guys gets moved? Uh, Hall, uh, Eberle, Nugent, Hopkins. Um, probably. Yeah. Uh, would you do that? The Oilers. Pardon? What would you do? Would you do that? Do you think it's it's time to? Well, it it, it all depends on what they're getting for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't trade them just to trade them. Yeah. The Oilers need to get better on the back, and the Oilers need a top two defenseman. And to get a top two defenseman, I mean, you've got to give got up to give, something yeah. good to get something. So, those are the the three names that are the most valuable for the Oilers outside of McDavid yeah. and Drysaddle, who they won't trade because those two those two are younger. They're still on better contracts, mm-hmm. better term for the Oilers. So, if you're going to trade something to get something good, it's got to be a Hall, Nugent Hopkins, or Everly. Hall will probably get you the most coming back. Mm-hmm. He's been the most consistent throughout his NHL career. And it would hurt losing him because he is good. Mm-hmm. But if what you're getting back is a number one or two defenseman that plays 25 minutes a night, well, then all of a sudden you're like, well, 
Uh, it's too bad. We don't want to lose him. But our deficiency on the back end is, is forcing it. So, uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if one of them are gone and with the outside possibility of two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably, uh, like you said, it's just it's just something's not working. <laughs> and we, no. we we got rid of the old oiler club and – and, you know, you got McDavid, and it's just, yeah, it's like whatever they do. Again, injuries, like you said, injuries were a factor. And when I look at the, 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 the stats, you're right, a lot of guys missed a lot of, lot of time, more so than maybe what I, what I realized, you know, just from following them from the outside. But, um, yeah, something's got to give here. So maybe like a Seth Jones, Ryan Johansson trade, although I think Hall's probably better than Ryan Johansson, Johansson but uh, something like that, right? Well, yeah, I, I think. I mean, the problem for, for the Oilers, and it's, it's funny. Any fan of the team is well. We need to go get a number one defenseman. We got to. I don't. We got to give up so and so. Well, right. to get a number one defenseman, you got to find a team that's willing to give it up. First of all, and uh, anyone that's a fan yeah. of the Oilers knows that they're not. They're not easy to find. Number one defenseman. <laughs> no, they're not. No. one. We don't got them. So you got to find someone that's got. They got one that they mm-hmm. want to give up. You got to find a team that can afford a six million dollar contract because yep. all three. Paul Nugent Hopkins and Everly are all making six million for another three to four years. Yeah, so they got to be able to afford that. And now your your, your teams are dwindling down. So you got to yeah. find a team that's got what you want, are willing to get rid of it, and can afford to give up twenty four million dollars over the next four years, and like what you've got. So yeah. it's it it sounds when you say we need a number one yeah. number two defenseman, we got this guy. Well, great, <laughs> but I can tell you right now that. There's probably 24 teams in the NHL that want the exact same thing you do. Yeah. So, and on top of that, like you said, with if you, let's say you do have a hot young defenseman um, that you have, you can you can spare. Well, now can you fit six million under your cap? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, because because that guy is making two million or whatever because he's young or whatever. You know. Um, yeah. You got a good point. You know, it, it it's not easy. So it's it'll be interesting. I mean. Peter Shirelli's got his work cut out for him, obviously. This yeah. is a, a big summer for him. And, and, and I'm sure that before him, Craig Matavish or Kevin Lowe or Steve Tambellini mm-hmm. all have known what the Oilers have needed. Yeah. It, it's, it's written every day. It's talked about every day. Fans talk about it. The media talks about it. And these are very hard, smart hockey men. So there's a reason why it couldn't get done, and that's because it was next to impossible to do it. Yeah. So um. I'm sure Shirelli's going to push the envelope again and this is now there there's more in play now than in the past because in the past the others were not willing to get rid of their right. top young players now they're those guys are on the market too so now you'll see if there's more people out there that'll bite as a leaf fan it's going to sicken me if they get the number one pick again rob this is just going to be <laughs> this is going to be i think the hockey world might revolt but man I, the odds i mean you know it's like 20 percent for the leafs and uh, whatever 13 for the oilers it, yeah, it, it could I mean, easily happen. I mean, it's not that big a difference. No. Well, the thing is, it's an, when you're the last pick or the last team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's still an 80% chance, 80% yeah. chance yeah. that you're not getting that first pick overall. Yeah. So it's... Oh, it, can, you, can you imagine I mean, Austin Matthews lining up next year? Oh, jeez. Well, yes. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, the two Finns are supposed to be very, very good, too. Yeah, true. Yeah, so, either one. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's interesting with the Toronto Maple Leafs what they're going to do. Everyone's saying, well, they're going to get Stamkos. And I just, I, if I'm Steven Stamkos, I don't go to Toronto. Just simply, it's they're not good. Yeah. 
and and Stamkos will make them better. But I mean, who do you got to play them with there? Thanks everybody for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's Power Play right Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the Power Play board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front. Removable, long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these Power Play whiteboards and check them out. Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your Power Play board. All right, back to the show. Dude, you've been to Tampa. Why do you want to leave that? No state tax. Exactly. No state tax. You live on the water. You got. You don't have. Uh, read, you don't have the media on you every day. Like. Well, and I read a couple. They're they're doing actually a big thing in in Canada. I think it's in the National Post. Mm-hmm. But it's a seven seven uh, story series on why the Canadian teams struggle in the NHL. And right. The the one I read today was about the taxing. That if you got paid, if he was to get ten million dollars playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he was offered eight million, I believe, or eight point five million with Tampa. Mm-hmm. He would still make more money in Tampa on making two million dollars yeah. less. Yeah, I believe because it. Because of the taxes. Yeah, I believe and it. So that's huge. So you got to overpay, and then you get the pressure playing in Canada. And they interviewed a bunch of players about it too. That Anaheim this year they struggled at the beginning of the season. But if you read an Anaheim paper, you hang out in Anaheim, no one noticed. Right. Right. Where. In Edmonton, like I do a call-in show, yeah. and when the Oilers struggle, I mean, trade this guy, trade this guy, trade this guy, fire the coach, fire the gym, and it's nonstop. I mean, yeah. their jerseys were getting thrown on the ice, and that's a couple of years ago, but yeah. this year Justin Schultz in his own rink, every time he touched the puck, was getting booed. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I could not imagine what it would be like to get booed in my own rink. That would be, you'd be, you wouldn't be able to play. <laughs> yeah. You just couldn't play. Whereas yeah, really, Anaheim, right? Or these yeah. others... Other cities, they, they don't have that. So the pressure is so high in Canada, you have to be uh, a special type of person to be able to handle that. Yeah, I think if you're just at your job as your accountant, you're just getting booed. You're just... Yeah, someone, someone just sitting right beside your desk booing you the whole time, telling you you're awful. And then you go home and watch on TV where the <laughs> right. reporter says you're awful. And then you read the paper the next morning, says you're awful. I was, uh, I was listening to Drager, and he said, like, Schultz has been pretty good for Pittsburgh. And yeah. I'm like, oh, geez, can you imagine, like, just turning it around? Like like a um, 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 who am I? the goalie from Minnesota, why is it escaping me right now? Oh, Devin Dubnik. Oh, Dubnik, sorry, yeah, Dubnik, Dubnik. right. Like, he, gets booed, he gets booed out of Edmonton, chased out of Edmonton. I know. He, he's up for the Vezina the next I year. know. <laughs> Plays in the All-Star game this year. And then Drager's going, yeah, Justin Schultz, he's been a real positive addition. To the, well, you know. the problem for Justin Schultz in, in Edmonton is when he got signed, uh, he was – Heralded as a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. This yeah. kid is going. That's what the Oilers said. Yeah, Mac T said so that. Now, right. Yeah. 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 Anything below that, he was failure. So now you got this kid who's coming in. Now you've got to live up. And people think Norris Trophy. They think Paul Coffey. Yeah. When you're in Edmonton, so now you got Paul Coffey, and this kid's not going to be Paul Coffey. Never will be. Yeah. And the Oilers' defense was so bad, he had to play top defenseman minutes. So he's playing against. Getzlaff and Kopitar and Joe yeah. Thornton. He's not good enough to play against them. In Pittsburgh, he doesn't do that. He plays 14 minutes a night, plays on their second power play unit, and he, he's he's comfortable there. Yeah. He's successful. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it, it's tough playing in a Canadian in market. Yeah, and there is something to that. Absolutely, right? Which, I mean, you never really did, right? I mean, Chicago nope. and Pittsburgh, um, you know? And which were, yeah. yeah, they're great hockey towns. Yeah. But in Pittsburgh, if I went six games without a goal, they might not even notice. <laughs> right, there might not right. be anything written about it. Yeah. Where if a player up here goes two games, if Taylor Hall goes two games without a point, what's wrong with Hall? Yeah. you got to change the lines up. What's wrong with Everly? He didn't score three games in a row. And it's hard because there's, I mean, go to a an L.A. King game or go to, mm-hmm. go to a Phoenix Coyote game. Yeah. How many reporters are waiting after the game? Go watch the Leafs or the Canadians or the Oilers, and you got 60 guys waiting in the dressing room to ask you questions. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. Are you saying that Dave Malarney or Dave Malary, whatever his name was for Pittsburgh? Dave Molinari. Molinari, that's it. Yeah. yeah. He was a good man. I like Dave. He was really good to me when, my, when I was, he was there. He was always but really was funny. So, he was funny to read in hockey news all the time. Like, he was a pretty witty yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, he's very witty. He's very sarcastic. Yeah. But Dave Molinari was the Pittsburgh beat writer. Yeah, yeah. That, but that was it. You didn't have another beat writer. It was Dave. Uh-huh. We're in Edmonton. There's a both. Well, when we had two papers, there was each paper had about five, six guys, and then you had all the radio guys, and then you had all the TV guys. So yeah, it, it, it is hard. I can understand the pressure that players deal with. Now, when you're winning, it's incredible because you're God playing up yeah. here. But when yeah. you're losing. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, before we let you go, Rob, uh, we we laughed about your being taking calls for for Oilers fans the last time we were on the podcast. What was the most insane phone call you got after an Oilers loss this year? Is there <laughs> one, is there one that stands out? Well, I'm trying to think because there were some really good drunk ones as of late. Oh, jeez. I guess. I don't know if my, my my concussion syndrome starts to affect me now. My memory, <laughs> right? But it was. They, my, one of my favorites was the the Archer Zerbe one. Did I tell you that one? No, no. That was one that someone called and said that we should the Oilers need to go get Archer Zerbe, and we looked him up, and he hadn't played hockey in five years. <laughs> we told that to the caller, and the caller still said, "Doesn't matter. You got to get Archer Zerbe." <laughs> we hung up or else call in, and then he kept texting it in. And seriously, <laughs> Archer Zerbe could still play in this league, and we, he was like forty three. He still have that helmet. He still got the helmet with the cage. He's ready. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's ready. He's got his helmet in his hand, ready to come out. Oh, geez, I can only imagine uh, the stuff you got to put up with. I listen to uh, some Toronto radio, being a, uh, uh, in, down here in Vegas, and Jeff O'Neill does the post game, and he's a lot like you. I think it's sometimes he just wants to just just hang himself or hang the collar, or just he doesn't want to deal with it. So uh, starts yelling at people so i can imagine yeah, every... I, i'm much more patient than than that yeah, you know? yeah. but then again i we've had to deal with it for a while it's been tough but it's just the fans are passionate yeah and no they are yeah. in, in edmonton now it's, it's 10 years 10 years without a playoff run okay. and they had that huge stanley cup yep seventh game final and everyone's all excited and then it's just been an anvil dropped off a cliff after that is it and just it, has not been what they expected and if rollison doesn't get hurt they probably win that series yep. You know, I which agree. is insane. I agree. Uh, and not, nuts yeah. to think about. And then there were Stanley Cup champions only 10 years ago or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, that's insane, too, when you think about it that way. Well, with Connor McDavid, though, things are turning around. Because, like I said, he's t- watching him, like, I don't – I mean, even watching Sydney when, when Crosby broke in, I, he, he didn't wow me like McDavid. Like, I'm sitting at home flipping through the center ice channel, and I'm going to the Oilers because I'm McDavid. I'm just, i got to watch this kid all the time, you know? Um so it's, he's, he was that good for me and that exciting as just a, a you know a non oiler fan. Uh, he I had to watch him. Well, yeah, I agree. And it, what I I'm very fortunate now. I'm in, in the media here, 
I, I get to watch him grow up as a hockey player. I, I, I've got to see his rookie season. I get to see him progress each and every year. I, I've always wondered what it was like for the, the media guys when they covered Gretzky all those years, <laughs> right. or they covered Mario, or they covered Sidney, yeah. and, and seen him right from the beginning. And now I'm in that situation where I got this year to cover the, the Oilers again, and Sid, or then Connor's first year, and next year we, we expect to be better, and then hopefully follow this as the rise of the Oilers. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Rob, thank you for taking the time for us on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Really appreciate it. Like I said, uh, um, I know, you, you know you're getting your summer plans ready, so I appreciate you taking some time for us to, uh, to talk about the Oilers and uh, have a fun summer. And uh, thanks a lot, man. Thanks. No problem. Anytime. All right. See you, Rob. Bye.